The future of work and the future for workers is changing. From new technologies and talent strategies to the management of tomorrow's workforce. Tap in to Manpower Group Talent Solutions' 60 years of expertise and join us for the Transform Talent podcast, your guide to talent market trends, new technologies, and winning talent solutions. Hi, and welcome to the 11th episode of the Transform Talent podcast. This is Roberta Cucchiaro and Dominica Gausa. In this episode, we would like to talk about the role of blockchain in reshaping the future of work. Blockchain technology is perhaps best known for its role in safeguarding the cryptocurrency infrastructure in Bitcoin, for example, to make financial transactions secure without a need for a bank or a middleman. But in this episode, we would like to understand the use case for blockchain in HR, what are the challenges, as well as the benefits for both candidates and employers, as well as the impact of resume fraud on businesses and what led our today's guests to found WorkWolf and build the digital work passport. So that's why we have invited Eric Simmons. He's an entrepreneur, CEO and co-founder from Toronto in Canada. He began prototyping blockchain HR tech in 2017 and then co-founded WorkWolf, a Toronto-based startup that is disrupting traditional hiring cycles to automate and improve time to hire via a two-phase hiring process and digital work passport. WorkWolf was the winner of the Global 2020 Enterprise Blockchain Awards, as well as the winner this year of the 2021 Manpower Group HR Challenge for Automating Recruiting at VivaTech in Paris. So welcome, Eric. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. I'm great. Thanks for having me. We are very excited to have you on this podcast. uh, Blockchain is a really interesting topic and we do have a lot of questions. But first things first, I was thinking, you know, blockchain is a bit of a buzzword, a bit like artificial intelligence, AI. It's a word that we often say, we often hear, read about, but I bet that if we went around doing a Vox Pop asking people to define what blockchain is, the answers probably are not going to be very good. So I have a very simple question for you, and hopefully you can give us a simple answer that can suit all backgrounds, all audiences. What is blockchain? Yeah, I'll give you a simple answer, and it's not as complex as people think it is. But listen, I'm the CEO and entrepreneur. I'm not a technology developer, but I think I've had enough exposure to be able to provide you guys a basic insight into what it is. I'd say the first thing to recognize with blockchain is that it's an immutable ledger. So transactions that happen on a blockchain are there forever. So it's excellent for tracking different transactions on a network. And how a blockchain works in a digital currency environment is that a lot of computational power is put behind securing and and cryptographically ensuring one one block moves to the next block. And these blocks build upon one another. And at any point, if something is done incorrectly or it's built to prevent people from gaming the system. So at any point, uh, if somebody does and the transaction isn't validated or truthful, it eliminates the block and it can't continue. So you've got this massive now with, with the Bitcoin network or Ethereum network, this massive immutable truth of all of these transactions that are happening. Okay, so actually that's why it's called blockchain. 
Yes. Okay, and I never thought about that. So I, I already learned something new. So mm-hmm. what what attracted you to the world of uh, blockchain? What led you to found Workwolf? I've been a member of a, an entrepreneur forum for the last seven years. And I've become extremely close with the group we still met. We met yesterday, actually. And one of the members of my group, I call him the, the grandfather of Ethereum because his son is Vitalik Buterin. Um, oh. And so we were introduced to, our forum was introduced to blockchain very early on. And what Dimitri had shared with us was, you know, blockchain and how it works is it will fundamentally change how data is accessed, managed, and stored. And he said, you know, you might want to look at it for your business. And so I did. And in recruiting and credential verification, it was, it was the perfect use case. The question was, how do we make a commercially viable product out of this thing? Because there's a lot of goods and there's a lot of bads with blockchain. So we had to innovate on an innovative technology to actually make it work and make it be commercially viable for our client base. Okay, so I, uh, when I was looking on your website, I, I saw uh, keywords such as resume fraud. So mm-hmm. I'm very curious if you could tell us more about things that people lie about and what are things that are not easy to spot for a recruiter. Yeah. And most importantly, what are the consequences for organizations? And mm-hmm. one more question as well is how this resume fraud all links with Warpwolf? Sure. So I think there was four questions in one there. So I'm <laughs> yes. going to try and okay, I'm going to try and track them one by one. So first thing, um, what is resume fraud? How often does it happen? What's the what's the expense or the cost to the employment industry or to corporations? So resume fraud, it sounds big, right? Sounds like fraudulent behavior. You think of like illegal behavior, right? But that's not necessarily what they're talking about with resumes. It's misrepresentation. So resume frauds, misrepresentation. So if I'm presenting myself to an employer and I go in, even if I declare that I've done something that I haven't, even if it's like fudging my my numbers, if I'm a sales guy saying, you know, I did this 120% the plan, but really it was 115 or 110, that's resume fraud. Okay, so there's static and dynamic things that we verify within our network. Dynamic are things that that change as people move from one employer to the next. And then the static ones are the are the ones that stay the same. Like once you get your university degree within the WorkWolf ecosystem, it never needs to be validated again. So things can be repurposed. Things that are dynamic are things like a criminal record check. Those those can change or your or your record of employment from one employer to the next. So what I've seen over the last 15 years in the recruiting industry, things that get falsified or, or little white lies on resumes, the most popular ones are start date, end date. People like, they don't like to have gaps in between their employment. So they'll make one a little bit longer, one a little bit less, and they'll kind of bleed them into one another. That's resume fraud. Saying that you have a degree on your resume and putting a date on a resume of when you went to that school, that typically is misrepresentative if you didn't graduate. So saying that you went to McMaster University in 1998, as an employer, I'm going to see that and like think, oh, okay, this guy graduated and let's actually check. Right? So that's misrepresentative. And then there's real resume fraud, which is basically saying, 
I did this job, but I didn't do this job, or I graduated from the school, or I didn't graduate. And any type of accolade or accomplishment that you declare that didn't happen is resume fraud. And the consequence to this is massive. So what happens is, and I liken it to dating, it's probably the best analogy. You never know what you're going to get until it's like everyone's on their best behavior in an interview, right? So the, the, the problem is that people misrepresent themselves on their resume. They have to misrepresent themselves in the interview to match that resume. And then three months into the job, the employer's like, hmm, this guy isn't performing like we anticipated. And that is a massive problem. So three out of five resumes have some type of resume fraud, inaccurate, embellished, or absolute lies. And some people think that's a staggering number, but that's how big the problem is. And what it, what it does for business is it costs over half a trillion dollars a year. And so when you're an entrepreneur and you're looking at a problem to solve, usually the bigger ones have a bigger upside and a, and a bigger opportunity to actually change an ecosystem, but they're also harder to push forward. So this is a systemic problem that I've seen in every client that I've worked with over 250 over the last 15 years, enterprise clients like Johnson & Johnson or Amazon, and all the way down to startups, right? It happens all the time. That's that's a lot, actually. I didn't know that it's such a big problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I know we had a lot of questions in <laughs> one go. If you could just tell us, how does it link with Workwolf? So the network, uh, a lot of the heavy lifting over the last four years was to get our credential issuers as part of the network. So we have over 100,000 sources of truth that are direct connections to these sources. So whether it's academic institutions, employers, big companies like Equifax or TransUnion for credit, records of employment, we've got direct connections to these to these validators or credential issuers. But we also have partnerships because not everything is automated yet. We also have partnerships with certified background checkers in the countries that we do the work. So they become our sources of truth. And they're the same resources that enterprise use today. The difference is that once a credential is validated, the digital work passport renders it tamper-proof. So uh, it can't be falsified. And another good analogy here is it's like a safety deposit box where Dominica or Roberta, you have a permission ledger or a window to be able to share that information, but you don't have the keys to make deposits. Only the credential issuers have the keys. So what that means in the workplace is that candidates can pre-clear themselves with the employment-centric credentials that employers are looking for. Or instead of a traditional background check at the end of a hiring cycle that can take one to two weeks, um, the digital work passports can be deployed mid-cycle. So for the finalist candidates, three or four can receive a digital work passport And the value, another challenge was to, to make a product that doesn't just value, provide value to the employer, but provides value to everybody. So the candidate who does not get the job gets to keep their digital work passport to empower them for their next job. And what happens is you get, you know, eventually you get this, this network effect. So you have candidates who didn't get the job going to the next employer and the employer says, well, what's this? It's like, it's a digital or passport. You don't have to background check me. Initially, the employer will say, no, 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 I'm going to do my own background check. 
but then they'll cross-reference that the digital work passport has the exact same information validated. And, what, and then you get this, this nice, or, or we anticipate you get this nice um, entrance into the marketplace and we get our mission, which is to unleash the power of truth. I'm a big fan of Stephen Covey. Um, he was one of his, he's a great leader. His one book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Individuals was one of the first business books I've, I read in my 20s. And he says, nothing is faster than the speed of trust. So if I trust you, I'm confident that what you say is legitimate and I can just move on to other things, right? So that's really what our ecosystem and, and platform does is it just empowers the employment market by improving the authentication and trust level between the actors within the hiring cycle. So when, you know, when we're talking about this validation, I'm thinking about entry-level positions and senior leadership positions and, mm -hmm. you know, this resume fraud and all those problems we're talking about, does it affect both of those groups or can you see frauds happening more on the entry-level positions or senior leadership positions? How, do, how does it work? It holds no barriers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it happens across the, in, the entire value chain. So whether you're just starting a job or whether you're a CEO. And if you just look up resume fraud, you can easily see several examples of some very well-known executives that were caught lying on the resumes about their history. So it happens all the time at all levels within the employment market. And I just, I do want to touch on one thing because I think it's really important to get to the why of, you know, why you do the things you do and what motivates you daily. I've never been a big fan of social media. And the reason why is, is I think it creates this digital, this unauthentic digital persona. And it, it's created this image that, that lacks the authenticity that people require in their day-to-day -day lives. Like, what's the truth? So this counterbalances that so that we are, you know, we're a, we're credential that's available on LinkedIn. So now people, because there's zero authentication sources for LinkedIn, I can say I went to Harvard and there's no check. So uh, as a, you know, as a feature on LinkedIn, and if you went to my LinkedIn, uh, which is a LinkedIn backslash empower your people, or just Eric Simmons, you can validate my credentials right there. So what, what the link does is it takes you to the public dashboard and the public dashboard displays what credentials I've had validated, but it doesn't share the results. To get the results, you have to request access from me directly. And I can deny that, I can grant access, or at any time, if I've given it, I can revoke it back. Mm -hmm. And that's what you call the digital work passport, right? It is. Yeah, okay. that's the digital work passport. And we use a permission ledger for that access window. We will have some more questions about the, uh, the digital work passport in a bit. I just before we go there, I just had a, another question for you. I really liked what you said about the safe about it being a safety box. Uh, I just wanted mm. to hear from you thinking about what are the main problems with blockchain and the main benefits putting that together uh, what what it's the strongest use case for uh, hr and uh, for credential verification using blockchain so blockchain is excellent at a few things so one is the immutab immutability that i had had talked about before or the security of what the data records are whether it's a you know a, a token a digital asset or a credential but it's also very good at democratization and decentralization. And 
So for democratization, that's part of the challenge within the friction points in the hiring cycle in HR, because the data is currently siloed in locations that are hard to get that information. So if a university registrar, it's the summertime, and uh, you call into the registrar to do a background check on somebody's credentials, it could take weeks to get peer back from them if it's not a direct access point. And the decentralization of this, it means we've taken the hard to access data, created a central repository, not just for the employer, but for the individual. And the individual then has this portable digital credential that they can use for employment. But there's also other use cases as well. Not our initial use case, but it could be for just basically proving that this is the truth. So where's where's that important? Like landlord renter, right? That's important. Um, banks in terms of this information is, is who I am. And uh, here's my declaration or here's your access to my digital work passport. So there's a lot of use cases. The immutability of it is important too, right? So that it's tamper-proof so that the candidates can't go in there and, and falsify this information once it's in there. That's the good part. The bad part about public blockchains is that they have private keys. And private keys, I had mentioned this in my talk at VivaTech, what if you lose your private key, you never get it again. There's no password recovery. So what that means is, uh, what that's equated to just on the Bitcoin network alone is $140 billion of money that's gone. So you'll never, unless you find that that private key, you'll never get that money back. It's there and it's gone and it's somewhere in cyberspace. So is that approach to blockchain something that's commercially viable? People have gotten very used to being able to recover their passwords in one click. I do it all the time. Uh, and I'm sure everybody has uh, in terms of lost, losing their passwords. It's just because there's so many new technologies coming out and so many different platforms. Like you got to have passwords all the time, right? So if we made it so that you lost your private key or if you couldn't recover your private key, then we'd have a lot of people calling our customer service department saying, hey, how do I fix this? And you can't. So we use a private network. So we've partnered with Hyperledger Fabric, IBM. We use that framework for our own blockchain and... That allows us to have some of the benefits of things like password recovery. And uh, because uh, me and Roberta, we're based in Europe, so we're, we are really curious, how are you addressing GDPR concerns? Yeah, for sure. So the privacy policy around GDPR is all about the right to be forgotten, right? I don't want your company to have my information anymore. And two, that the company isn't going to misuse your data for things that they shouldn't be doing, like tracking or selling back to you, right? So the data that we have access to as an organization is only the psychometric profiling that we provide the candidate at the initial filtration. And that's not the digital work passport. It's another product that we have called PackFinder. And it allows the candidates and the employer to be able to predict performance in over 500 different jobs. So it's an, an amazing filtration product that's automated. So we, we use that data to be able to cross-reference benchmarking from an employer and a candidate's characteristic traits. And we can start to match top performers within an organization or a certain prototype, if you so to, for lack of a better word, for a top performer, and a passive candidate pool of professionals that we can ping or let know that you match an exact employer profile. 
So that's the data we use to be able to empower both sides of the market. The rest of the data in terms of those credentials, we don't have access to. And that is the whole concept of this decentralization is that we don't become the central repository of all of this information. The information is the candidates, the users to do with whatever they want. So our whole intent uh, before GDPR was actually a thing in Canada or US four years ago was to always make this information democratized and to always make this information central around the user. So you say, I mean, you, you just said that the user, the candidate has control over the data, but how much control, what they can change, how much they can, you know, go into um, the digital work passport and, you know, influence that, what the employer sees, they can't. They cannot. No. Okay. They, yeah. The technology, if it's one of those, so I discussed the concept of static mm-hmm. versus dynamic credential, right? So Mm -hmm. if they need to update that information, they can do that with one click because the network then tethers that individual to that validation source. And all that candidate needs to do is it's been a year and a half later, or I'd like to show a bank or an employer my, my credit score, and we can pull that information so they can upgrade or refresh their data at any point. And they have control of that. So basically, it's like you mentioned before, uh, LinkedIn, it's creating a LinkedIn that is verified. So you are sure about the information that you're you are reading about, about a candidate. And I did really like also what you mentioned about the pack finder. So being able to match the skills of a candidate to, uh, to a job position. And especially if you're sure that those skills are the ones they have. So that's that's really interesting. And do you operate at a global level as well? So with our upcoming work with Manpower, we were asked if we could support initially three countries, but now our last discussion was more like seven. So yes, we can support international growth and scaling, and we've got the team to be able to assist in terms of making those additional partnerships and and relationships. So yeah, uh, right now we can do it. It's not as cost effective because our partnerships exist in Canada and the US, North America, to be able to validate. So um, the idea is as we grow this out country to country, that we we have a preferred source that we work with to do the manual work, who understands the country dynamics. Um, there is a big difference between France and Canada. And, you know, as we build out that partnership, because we're pretty close to securing a deal for France, you know, we learn that it's validated the fact that we should go country to country because there's very specifics mm-hmm. around how it works and what the process and hiring cycle is in France versus Germany versus the Netherlands or Canada. Even there's big differences in Canada and the US. Mm, yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine. So what's on the roadmap for WorkWolf? Our most important thing right now is to make the product as available as possible to enterprise organizations and recruiters who want to increase um, or reduce their time to hire and increase their hiring efficiency. And improve the quality of data that they use and their and the candidate experience. So by integrating with 12 applicant tracking systems and human resource information systems, it allows those employers a much easier way to, to integrate with our tech and take the take advantage of it. Yeah, and putting your work wolf hat on the side, so apart from credential verification, how do you think blockchain is going to affect HR and the future of work? I think that in a traditional sense, 
blockchain really needs nodes or verifiers or infrastructure within those sources of truth. And because the business model of background checking or verification already exists, it would make sense that eventually those sources of truth will become nodes on the network. And those nodes, but people have to be ready for that. Not everyone understands blockchain. Not everyone knows the value of it. So, and that could take a decade or more until people start to have their own ecosystem of blockchain within their environments. So I don't think we're going to see a lot of blockchain other than, than WorkWolf for credential verification. I mean, unless there's a couple of me twos that come to market, which is possible, but really this is the one use case that I think we'll see is, is ongoing innovation around improving the speed of transfer of validated information. Where I think blockchain is really going to catch hold is in supply chain management. That is an excellent use case. And there's companies like uh, Walmart that are using it in terms of tracking their food and Hublot, uh, which is a luxury watch company, to ensure that every single tiny piece in that watch comes from a validated source. So everything is tracked from manufacturing of those tiny little pieces down to the finished product of the watch. So it's got excellent use cases for that. It's just, it takes time to be able to implement things. It's slow, expensive, and there's a lot of work being done on innovating speed and uh, improving how data is managed and processed. It takes a lot of energy to uh, process one transaction on the Bitcoin network. And so if we, if I took you on a time machine and we fast forward to 2051, what would we be talking about? I like this question a lot. <laughs> so I think I like to think that we'd be talking about sports and music and theater and family and kids and playing and ideas versus what I see today, which is talking about other people or talking about things, right? So I really believe that it's the ideas that are inspirational and what can what can change the world for the better, not so much with the other two things. So I'd like to think that we're thinking about the ideas and having a lot more fun. And hopefully we've used technology over the next 30 years to free ourselves of a lot of the, you know, the work and just how society has evolved. I think there's an opportunity here for us, for everybody to leverage technology for good and be able to free up our time so that we can spend it with our loved ones. I've got a a new family, two new little kids that uh, we brought in this world recently. And, you know, your values change when that happens, you know, as much of a workaholic as I am and as passionate as I am about problem solving, I also want to spend a lot of time with my family. So hopefully technology takes us there where we can spend less time on the tasks. Those are automated and more time having fun and thinking about cool stuff. Oh, that's nice. Enjoying ourselves and, and living. Uh, our yes. <laughs> Which you guys do much better in Europe. I was, uh, I was in a cab, I think at like 1230 at night on a Tuesday in Paris and everybody was out on the re- in the restaurants. Like it was, for me, it was like, don't, th- is it a holiday tomorrow? Uh, and the cab driver was like, no, monsieur, this is how we live. Uh, <laughs> and it was just so nice to see everyone, you know, out and enjoying good food and good wine and, and laughing and just having that social connection that, that you know, COVID really put a, a damper on. Yeah. But- 
Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd like, but uh, I think we're getting back to that. And I, you know, I loved, I loved that kind of stuff. So. So I just want to, to summarize what we talked about and how that, that it was a lot. But uh, what struck me the most, what you said, it was that there is this systemic problem of three out of five resumes uh, have a resume fraud. And I think that's a very high number. And then that it costs half trillion dollars per year uh, for companies. And well, with the rise of uh, remote working at, uh, you know, talking with our colleagues at Manpower Group, uh, we do really believe that it is it is important to have a, a trusted solution for individuals to share data with an employer in a way that it's easy and it's secure and really putting the candidate experience at the center. So you, you make also the application journey easier, right? And so we we are, as we are currently exploring uh, potential solutions with you, Eric and Workwolf, there's really a lot to look forward to. We also look forward to working with Manpower and making the process and the candidate experience just easier, less stressful, and something that brings truth to the forefront of the employment market again. Thank you so much for joining us today on the 11th episode of the Transform Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. And to all our listeners, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review in your favorite podcast listening app. See you at the next episode and have some fantastic summer holidays. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye. The Transform Talent Podcast, because we know the right talent transforms organizations and helps your business flourish. Talent solutions, business and talent aligned. <laughs>